Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. It's great to be up here. Honestly, right now, I have no idea why I live in Phoenix either. So, Anthony's spot on. You get up here and you're like, this is the spot to live. Um, so, it's great to be with you guys. Before we go into the passage, which is 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7 to verse 21. So, I'm going to say that again. If you have a phone with an app, if you have a hard cover Bible, open it up. It's 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. I'm going to do my best to get through that entire section because um, it really is amazing. The Bible is amazing. Amen? You know, something interesting about when you think through God's Word is that the Bible, I'm not certain if you knew this, but the Bible says that the whole world we live in is being upheld by the Word of God's power so that God's voice, His Word, is literally holding up everything we walk on, everything that's below us, beside us, above us, is holding together in God through His Word, the Bible says. So every time we open the Word of God, God wants to speak to us personally. It's this moment of like hearing God's address to us as Redemption Flagstaff and to you in particular. So here's what I want to do before we get into the sermon. Just Let's just take 40 seconds and just quiet yourself and in your way of whatever way you want to say this, no matter how, how young you are, how old you are, just say to God, God, would you speak to me? And would you give me the ears to hear what you want me to hear? So let's pray. Father, it's amazing to think that you are the God of the universe who spoke the world into existence and who upholds it by your powerful word and that you want to speak to us personally this morning. So God, give us ears to hear the things you want to speak to us in our specific situations and to us as a family of faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, engage me here on this with a little hand raise. Have any of you ever been disappointed when you opened a bag of chips why? Wait, why? Yeah, like, so you see this bag of chips, it almost looks strong, like you feel it, and it's like, wow, that's pretty firm. You're like, I'm about to destroy these Doritos, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crush them. And then you open it, and there's this big, and then you look down, and you're like, there's like three chips in this bag. We get discouraged and under the pressure of opening the bag. So you think about the bag and under the pressure, all kinds of air is being exposed. This is true in our lives. This is true of the American church. And this was true of the church that John's writing to in 1 John. Is that under pressure, they were asking real questions about what is real? What is truth and what is air? 
In the section just before where we are going in verse 7, in verse 6, he says, this is how we recognize the spirit of truth from the spirit of falsehood. This isn't a teacher just teaching a class on philosophy. This is a group of people that are under an intense amount of pressure for following Jesus. They're trying to make sense of Jesus on a personal level. Many of these people are going, do I actually believe this? It's like a reality check. It's a gut check for them. Is, is this real? Is my faith real? Is this belief in Jesus real? Is this community I'm a part of actually real? Because as the pressure bears down, there is a question of reality at all types of level. Personal, in your family, of your beliefs, what's happening in society. This is what's happening in the American church. The American church right now has all kinds of pressure on it, and it's almost like the pressure, I would say, of God is opening the bag and revealing all kinds of air. Am I right? Exposing all kinds of faultiness, making us ask the question about what is real, what is true, what is the thing that lasts forever. And then in the midst of all of that, we are. Our culture is moving in such a way that there's pressure points everywhere. There's economic pressures. There's worldview pressures. There's political pressures. Amen? There's pressures at every level, which bears down on us and makes us ask the question of like, is this real? Is this faith thing real? Is my faith real? Ultimately, underneath pressure, reality is exposed. How much is actually there? I've spent a lot of time in this passage. I love this section of scripture. I think it's unbelievably powerful and incredibly relevant to your life, to your family's lives, and to the way we understand the church right now. And as I've thought through so much of like, if you had to distill down, what is Christianity actually? I don't want to act smart here, but this is worth if you take notes at all to write these down. What is Christianity actually? I think in the book of 1 John, there are these four things. That if you are a person that loves logic and loves one, two, three, four, here it is for you. I'm not going to do a lot of this the rest of the time, but here it is. If you have the truth, the absolute concentrated core of what it is of this faith that follows Jesus, here's the first thing. Jesus is God. This is what delineates us from all types of other faiths and other forms of things that name Jesus, but they don't believe Jesus is God. Jesus is God is number one. Here's two, which is all over the passage we're in today. God is love. Jesus is God. God is love. That's number two. Number three, if we are in God, we are called to habitually love one another. So number one, Jesus is God. Number two, God is love. Number three, the calling on our lives is to habitually love one another. And then here's number four. We need God power to the love the way he's calling us to love. So Jesus is God, that's Jesus' divinity. God is love, that's God's what theologians would call ontology, his character. Who he is, is love. Number three is our ethic, love one another. And we're going to see why here in a minute. And number four, we need God power 
You know what that's called in the Bible? Who it is in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. God is love. We are called to habitually love. We need God power. So this reality of all throughout the book of 1 John, and certainly throughout this section, this word, love, comes up over and over again. So in verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. That word love in the tense of the Greek is we are to love and continue to love and continue to love and continue to love. There's a Greek scholar, and he says the word habitually should be there. So, dear loved ones, we need to habitually love one another. Now, this idea of love is not, in our context and culture, it is not uncommon to hear. It isn't unique to Christianity to hear the word love. I would argue for, to you, it is the pressing human question. The pressing human question is, what is love? You see it all over music. So I'm going to do something. This may or may not work. YouTube's an amazing place to find music. So tell me if you guys are familiar at all with this song. You guys know that song? Listen to the question. His question, he said, baby, don't hurt me. But his question is, what is love? Right? So you have that. If you're a little bit older, there's a band called Foreigner. Let's see if this one works. Uh, it went too far. But you guys know this song? Have you ever heard this song? Raise your hands. Here's where he says the story behind the song, and I'm not going to give you the story, but it, the line is, I want to know what love is. Oh, now it's going all over the place. We love music, so we're good. But he says, I want to know what love is. And then he says, I want you to show me. Go look up on Google after this, if you're one of those people that's curious. What is the story behind Foreigner's song, I want to know what love is? Both of these songs talk about pressure, exposing something that leads them to the essential question, what is love? And then the next song goes even deeper of like, I want to know what love is. And I need someone to show me. Because I'm after it at all kinds of levels, but it keeps failing me. And that goes all the way, I'm not going to do the next one, to Chance the Rapper. Everything comes back to Chance the Rapper. Some of you guys are like, I don't, I don't listen to rap, I don't know who. Chance the Rapper wrote a Christmas album a few years ago, and I was listening to it um, one day. And I'm driving, listening, to, and this one song comes on called Who's to Say?, and it's like this narrative song. The first line of the song says, love is a casualty of war. And then what's amazing is the story goes on. It says that there's this young niece who doesn't think her auntie loves her anymore because she did something that ticked the auntie off and she doesn't think she's loved anymore. Chance the Rapper ends the whole song talking about the church and talking about God. What is love? I want to know what love is and I want you to show me. And then love is a casualty of war. These are the same questions, human questions, that are driving to the root of what is Christianity in 1 John. 
So he says, dear friends, let us love one another. That habitual love, for love comes from God. This is verse 7. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now the section before in this section speaks specifically, and the whole logic of John in this is a logic of our identity if by faith we're in God. Okay, now if you've not been around the Bible too much, I don't want to speak too theological, but I do want to tell you what the Bible says. And the way the Bible speaks about faith is that it isn't just this mental assent. Yeah, I believe that. But it's an experiential reality that in faith, we actually get in what theologians call union with God himself through Jesus. So we now are, this language is born of God is what John says. This is where some of these phraseologies in the Gospel of John and in 1 John of being born again is. Is that if we are from God, we are born of God. So these are some really interesting ways to think through how our revel- the revelation, the revealing of our identity in faith. Here are the phrases. We are coming out of God. We are divinely loved ones. That's the phrase he uses here in verse 7. Out of God, we are divine loved ones. We are little born ones. So when John, if you go back, here's the phrases you may see in the NIV. We have been born of God. So when somebody stops and goes, we're little born ones. We're born from God. My son Yale is here. He's sitting in the front row wearing an ASU shirt. Praise God. Um, and many people will say about my older son, Brayden, who's not here, is it's almost like a direct DNA deposit for my wife into Brayden. And then Yale's the direct deposit of me into him. Thank Jesus, Yale. I'm just kidding. But people will be like, he looks just like you. He talks like you. He acts like you. This is what God's saying. God's saying, you in faith have been born out of me. You are my beloved children. Therefore, if your identity is as a divinely loved one, the way then you should act is love. And you start going, I want to know what love is. Like, what? Okay, what does that mean? What is love? But start here. In faith, if our Christianity is real, if the pressure is exposing the air and we get down to the actual Doritos and we go, the core of this is love and love is the identity of God, which is why he can say, dearly loved children, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now follow in verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God. So if you are born a lover, you are born out of God who is love. If you don't love, verse 8 says, you're not born of God. Why? What does the verse say? Because God is love. I was sitting the other day um, with a man who's just very recently begun to encounter God and Jesus. He's in big in the finance world. He's starting a hedge fund. 
if you guys know what a hedge fund is. So he's felt financial and job pressure for most of his life. Then he had, he has a girl that's like three years old and he just had a new son who was diagnosed with a skeletal condition. I may get this wrong, but a skeletal condition that essentially, if he lives, will, he'll be a dwarf. His body won't be able to grow. But the early parts of his life, so he's just about a year old, um, the early parts of his life, there are these huge factors that have to come together or he won't live. So the pressure of life has gotten to the point where when I'm talking to this guy and he's telling me about his son, he just begins to well up with tears. And then pretty soon he can't control himself and his, his lips start fluttering. And he starts crying. And there's this moment where you feel bad, but you're like, there's nothing maybe more beautiful than a parent or a father exposing through how bad they want good for their child, revealing their love through when pressure's put on them is all I want is my son to be all right. What I want is good for my child. And I had this moment where I looked him in the face and I said, Joe, you're new to this whole thing, but you want to know something? That's Christianity. And he kind of looked at me. And I said, the heart and love of a father for his child that truthfully is willing to do anything, anything, is everything that Christianity is. You feel love, don't you? Yes. Do you want to know what God is? God is love. He all of a sudden gets a little more teary, but at that point, it's not so much out of fear for his child, but out of this moment of like revelation of if this is true, if the God who spoke the world into existence, the God who upholds all of the world, including our bodies, by the word of his power is love in a very real way, everybody, in a very real way. That means love is at the heart of the universe. That means what's holding the world together is love. If God is love, and when Paul says it's in him, in God, we live and move and have our being, then we live and move and have our being in a world that is love. It's God. God is love. Well, then no wonder why people year after year, poets, writers, authors, romantics, musicians, rappers, write about love. The reality of it, the absence of it, is because God is love. Now John begins to get at this question of what is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Now understand the logic that's going on right now in John. It starts with, listen, if your identity is as a born out of God one and God is love, love. So the whole command of this passage is if you say you're in Jesus and Jesus is God and God is love, then we are called to love. Now he knows the question then is like, I want to know what love is. Show me. And he goes, okay, I'm going to show you what love is. If God is love, here's the example of what love is. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son 
So his most prized possession into the world for what purpose? That we might live through him. Now, this is another word. We hear the word love. Now, another L word is life. And I always like to think about this word live or life as it's, it's a human quest. We want to experience life that's worthy of the word. Okay, just slow down for a minute and think about this. You, okay, I'm naming your name right now. So fill in the gap. You want to live life to the full. You want to live life that's worthy of the word. It's why you move to find a new place to live. It's why you go after certain jobs. It's why at other points when you feel pressure and pain, you go to all kinds of things to just feel a little bit of buzz, a little bit of life. But deep down what you want is life that's worthy of the word. Capital L, capital I, capital F, capital E life, real life. You don't want to open the bag and go, it's a bunch of air. It's life. So here's how God showed his love for us. He takes his most prized possession, Jesus himself, and gives him so that we might live. I came that you might have life and have it to the full. So in this is love. He sends his son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God. So as we sit down and we laugh and what is love, right? What it, okay, when you get to that actual question, and it's not just the song, what is love? In this is love. Not that we loved God. Love does not originate in you. Turn to the person next to you, you can look at them. It doesn't originate in them. Love does not originate in me. In this is love. Not that we loved God. If right now at whatever level, you, and you may not know all the levels, but if you go, I love, I genuinely love God and I can't figure it all out and maybe in the grand scheme of the scale of loving God, it's just a little bit. You don't love God even a little bit because it came out of you. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. If God is love, here's something to remember, the source of real love is God. It doesn't originate out of human doing, which does not mean human beings are incapable of loving. It just means where love exudes out of people, even non-Christian people, it comes because every human being is made in the image of God. You guys following me? God is the source of love. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Now he begins to texture and color this, and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So he acted in love. Love is the source. I'm sorry, God is the source of love. God is the source of all love. My wife hasn't eaten meat, dairy, or gluten for years. Not because she's like a convicted vegan, but she feels like junk when she does. So when she starts this journey, I mean, years ago, well over a decade ago, and this is probably seven years ago, 
she has this moment, and she's like, I just found and made the most amazing vegan ice cream. And I'm thinking to myself, like, vegan? What are vegans again? She's like, you know, they don't eat anything that comes from animals. So my mind's going, like, I'm pretty sure milk comes from an animal. Vegan ice cream. Well, like, what is vegan ice cream? Well, you take bananas. So she makes it in front of me. She blends up these bananas. She's like, you'll be amazed at how good this tastes. She blends up all of these bananas, um, and it gets really creamy. And literally, she pours it out, and it looks like ice cream. Then she throws some strawberries in. She blends up the strawberries, drizzles the strawberries over these blended up bananas. And then she's like, try this. And it is, I'm serious, it is, looks like ice cream. It looks like a strawberry sundae, almost from McDonald's. You know those McDonald's strawberry sundae soft serve and then the red strawberry sauce over it? So I taste it, and honestly, it is not bad. <laughs> but everything in me is like, that's not bad, but that is not ice cream. <laughs> For one reason, it's missing a fundamental ingredient. The source of ice cream is cream. <laughs> right? It's not ice cream. It's blended bananas. The source of ice cream is cream. The source of love is God. This is why even in a culture that talks about love all the time, there is a big difference in the way these words are constructed. Love is not God. Remember this. If you're in here, at whatever age you are, love is not God. God is love. And here's the thing. It isn't two plus two equals four. Well, I can move the twos around, or three plus two is five. I can move. That's not how this works. There is an identity of God who is the source of love. Now, can love lead us to God? Yes. That's what this passage speaks about. But love will lead us there. Love is not God. God is love. God is the source of all that is love. And he begins to talk about this. The structure of love is self-sacrifice. It's others-oriented self-sacrifice. He gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Everything that stands in the way of love in the Bible is defined as sin. Everything in the Bible, read the last few chapters of Romans, hear me what I'm about to say. Everything in the Bible that's spoken of as sin is defined as anti-love. Read Romans 13 and 14 if you don't believe me. So everything in our lives that is not love is sin. Everything in the Bible that is called sin is labeled as sin because it's anti-love. Love is the fulfillment of the law, the Apostle Paul says. So Jesus came into the world as the atoning sacrifice for everything in us that stands against love. Everything within us that is the barrier to love, God, who is love, sent his son into the world to destroy those barriers. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. One of the challenges with doing larger sections of scripture is you could go off forever, but let me just say it this way. For the people 
that are singing the song and legitimately asking the question, I want to know what love is and I want you to show me. God has set the world up in such a way that he who has not seen would be seen through his ones that are born out of him. That's what the Bible calls the church. That's why people say we're the hands and feet of Jesus. This is why the appeal of John in 1 John is love one another habitually, love one another habitually. The whole world will know, the Gospel of John says, that you are my followers if you love one another. This is exactly what John's saying here. No one's ever seen God. If people want to know what love is, if people want to know who God is, we have to love one another because God lives in us and his love is made complete in us and his love is manifested to the world in how we love each other. So then he comes back again. The second part of verse 16, God is love. And now he does the gut check again. So right now in this room, let this be a gut check for all of us who say we're Christians. He says it again. The identity of God, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So this is a moment where we take a deep breath. And when you're reading the Bible and you can get excited, that's so awesome, is that the Bible is meant to be read it's meant to be chewed on and churned up, and then it turns into a mirror where you're called to ask yourself questions. God is love. Here's the first question. Do you view God like that? Right now, seriously, if somebody said, you are about to walk out this door and be in the presence of God, let's not even just say you are going to die, but you're going to be in the presence of God. What do you feel like you're going to be in the presence of Do you feel like you're going to be in the presence of the awful father you grew up with? The terrible fifth grade teacher that you had? That friend who constantly points out your flaws? Am I going to die and be in the presence of what? How do you view God? Because John is saying, if you're going to live the life of love, you have to understand your identity, and the only way you can understand your identity is if you understand the true character of the one you were born out of, and God is love. So then the question is, how are we, how are you loving? Whoever lives in love lives in God. How do I experience God deeper? Well, certainly you can't do it if you're not actively seeking to love your neighbor as yourself. You're not actively working to love those who are in proximity of you. You're not actively assessing yourself of, am I loving this person ultimately for me or for their good that they might live through my life? There is this reality of how do we view God and how do we view ourselves and our lives? So here's where we're going to end, and this is where John ends in this section, is what is the biggest barrier to love? As you go on in this passage, the biggest barrier to love, underneath all kinds of things that you would go, I don't love because, these people aren't loving because, the root underneath all of that is fear. It's fear. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love 
drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So now when we step back and go, why is love, like Chance the Rapper said, a casualty of war? Why is love so distant that when pressure gets put on, people are like, I don't think I've totally experienced it. Well, John would say the root of that is fear. And here's what fear is constantly driving us to do. Listen to this, because this is powerful, and it's from the Bible. This isn't the genius of Tyler. He says, there is no fear in love, for fear has to do with punishment. So think about our, think about our culture right now. People will look at things that they now call political and they will warn you at the core and try to stir up more fear by saying something like this, what if you are on the wrong side of history? Well, what's that question meant to induce in me? I'm going to be punished. Fear has to do with punishment. I'm terrified. So now I begin to move and walk around in my political convictions predominantly motivated out of the fact of I don't want to be punished whenever that's coming. And yet, many people in the church, this is how they experience why you need to get right. Because you're going to stand before God and God's going to crush you. So what if you're on the wrong side of history? Could be a secular version with no God involved. But tons of us have a vision of God that in the end, man, you better get straight. You better get right or else God's going to squash you. But this is a God, John says, who is love, who gave everything of himself that we might live through him, who begins to take the punishment that is sin upon himself so that you and I might be free. It is for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. So now the logic of the Christian isn't a logic of what is right and what is wrong first. Hear the order here. You don't first have a whole logic of life like, is that right? Is that wrong? You start with love. This is what 1 Corinthians 13 does, right? Love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in truth. But it's ordered by love. If you put right and wrong over love, you'll never get to love. And it's out of order with the character of God. God is love and love, God is love, sets the trajectory of what is right and wrong. And right and wrong are important because of love. Because we want to love ourselves, our neighbors, our family. Fear has to do with punishment. So again, here's a moment where we reflect and we stop and we let it be a mirror and go, what ultimately in my life is motivating me? I have all kinds of false fear motivations. Many times I feel like not enough money is coming in and I feel like I'm going to fail as a father. So now my motivation, and I'll say to put food on the table, right? To send my 17-year-old son to college is motivated by love. It's actually motivated by fear. I don't want to be a failure as a dad. When I've worked in ministry for my whole adult life, so much of what motivated me towards people is to not be called bad or a heretic 
or wrong by that other size, which now motivates me in fear. And I wonder, when I actually do stand before God, and there is a moment of exposure, I wonder if God's not going to look at so many of us and go, listen, guys, I'm God. I'm secure. I'm not insecure. Like, we operate so oftentimes like God's insecure. Like, if we don't give him the love that he desires, he's like an insecure dad. God's not insecure. He accepts you where you are. He just wants you to come to him. He just wants you to talk to him. He's going, listen, I can fix that stuff. I'm God. You need to know I love you. I am secure. You're insecure. I'm secure. If you want to get secure, come to me. Your insecurity is rooted in fear. If you're scared, come to me. I'm not scared. I own the cattle on a thousand hills to all the dads that are scared and moms that are scared about money. All of us who feel powerless, he is a God who is all powerful and he's going, come to me. So we end this moment in an exposure, not to feel bad, but to go, fear is a place that stinks to live in. To live in a sea of love and acceptance because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Because the character of God is love. Because God is all-powerful and love. He's strong and he loves us. Folks, there is no better place to be laid naked and bare with the truth of who all of we are than before the God who is love. Amen? Let's pray. So we're going to enter a time of reflection, and I'm just going to pray a, a short prayer. And I just want you to sit with those three words, God is love. God, I pray that you would experientially meet us right now as we ponder the three words and the reality that you are love.